Eight years ago, the Royals were on top of the world. A lot has happened since then, and quite frankly, not a lot of it's been good in KC. Is there a reason to feel optimistic going to 2013 and beyond? We're bringing Ryland Styles of Locked On Royals to break it down. This is a Locked On MLB, Locked On Royals crossover. You are Locked On MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Lockdown MLB, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast we talk about all of Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. If you don't believe me, look at my lower third, and you can call me Sully. I am an Emmy-nominated television producer who has been doing baseball podcasts for the last decade or so, and I am now beginning my fifth year. This is my fifth year as a host on the Lockdown Podcast Network. That sounds bizarre. But that's true. I've been in 2019, 2020, 2021, 22. This is 2023. That's five for those of you keeping score at home. And you can follow us at Locked On MLB Pods. Same handle for Instagram. And you can, I'm your pal Sully. Please, please follow me on Instagram at Sully Baseball Podcast. And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On MLB. Or check out some of the other great shows on the Lockdown Podcast Network, including, I'm just going to pick one at random, Lockdown Royals with Ryland Styles. And do you know what? Ryland hasn't been on the show for a while, and and it isn't because I have anything against Ryland. It's just, well, I don't know, this may sound a little harsh. It wasn't the best year to be talking Royals baseball. But do you know what? This offseason, we're talking about every single team. And you never know what team is going to get it together, especially one which has some young players and maybe some hope for the future. Ryland, welcome back to the show and welcome back to Locked On MLB. Sully, thanks for having me back. You're, I don't blame you for going on a Royals hiatus, but I'm glad to be back. Um, you know, it is funny that the, you know, sometimes I did the suffering index recently where I try to quantify um, fan bases that, that are suffering and, uh, you know, based upon things like, you know, years they've been waiting for a World Series, number of they, you know, uh, do or die games that they've lost since their last title. And uh, I I remember thinking like, wow, you know, shouldn't the Royals be, have a smaller number because, you know, they just won a World Series. And then I remembered, wait, no, that was eight years ago. That was eight years ago. And I'm not trying to rub anything in. It's just, it's, it's when you get to a certain age and I am of that age, like it seemed like a minute ago <laughs> the Royals were celebrating at City Field. Um, but not only have they um, uh, not made the playoffs since then, they've had a series of hundred lost seasons and narrowly lost, missed another one this last year. And uh what exactly is the mood in uh, in Royals land these days? Is there still some goodwill that has been some residue of goodwill based upon what happened? Or is there a sense of, okay, that was great. Let's get our act together here. 
Yeah, it's the worst place to be in professional sports. The mood's apathy because the the Royals are a terrible franchise. Uh, they, they've only had two playoff appearances in my entire lifetime. And right after winning a World Series, they went right back to the cellar. And now they're hitting up fans for about a new stadium and trying to push for a stadium vote, all while not investing money in the team, all while the team's not been very good. And while across the parking lot, the Kansas City Chiefs are having the highest success that you can have in professional sports, winning Super Bowls, contending every single year, going to every AFC title game since Patrick Mahomes became a starter. So whenever you have such a shiny item across your parking lot, literally, with the Kansas City Chiefs, no one really cares anymore about the Royals because even with that World Series title, even with that 2014 World Series run, the majority of almost everyone's lifetime has been just terrible baseball in Kansas City, and you now have something else to to do with your free expenses and your free revenue to go uh, as a person and go to a Chiefs game instead or go buy Chiefs season tickets versus going to a couple Royals games a year. The, the, the trade-off is just so different now. And I just think that truly it's apathy. And if it's not apathy, then it's anger. So like you either just don't care or you're upset with the team. So it's just not very good right now. You bring up something here inadvertently that I brought up about some other teams, but you're, you're almost perfectly encapsulating something that I absolutely feel. And I've said this before. And I think it completely um, applies to Royal fans who lest we forget have been to the World Series more frequently and more recently than you know some big ticket franchises like the Yankees. Um, they've they actually they've won as many titles in the last bunch of years as the LA Dodgers and you know some of the other big big franchises. Um, however, most of the years they are not putting a entertaining product on the field. And I've made this point many times, and what you're stating is critical. A baseball team's job is not to deliver a championship to their fan base. Their job is to deliver an entertaining summer to their fan base. And the Royals have been denying that year in and year out, save for those, those couple of years, like, like, a, like a solar eclipse. Everything sort of lined up for a few years there. Basically, 2013, where they were competitive, 2014, where they stunningly went to the World Series, and 2015, where they were a very good team in 2015 when they won the World Series, and then back to back to this, um, it, they you owe your fans at least the appearance or at least the attempt to put something on the field, especially when you're playing in the division like the American League Central, which doesn't have a financial behemoth, which doesn't have the equivalent of a Dodgers or a Mets or a Yankees or a Red Sox or, you know, one of these other teams that is just trying to gobble up as many players as humanly possible. It's a winnable division. And to not feel the contender in that, I think, is shameful. It is, and the Royals squandered a great opportunity they did have. I mean, before before this schedule change that's going to take place this year where you're playing your d- divisional opponents less, the Royals were in the best spot in baseball in the sense of you, you got the play that was in every single year, and you never took advantage of it except for those two seasons uh, where you ended up making the postseason. But, yeah, it's just disappointing, and I think that the only thing that you can have positivity about is the fact that they're now trying to – 
you know, change their regime. And I do think that they made a right choice in letting go of Dayton Moore. I do think that they made the right choice in letting go of Mike Matheny. And I do think that this ownership group now, this starting this season, I've been saying that, that this season's really the start of this new ownership group. It's not whenever they officially bought the team a couple of years ago. It's right now because now it's their people. It's their manager. It's their GM. It's their president of baseball ops. It's their everything. And we'll see if Mr. Sherman will operate the way that say Cleveland did where he was from originally in that ownership group of Cleveland before coming to Kansas city. And and the bottom line for me and the most frustrating part for me is that the Royals don't spend and they don't sign free agents, which is fine. I mean, it's, it's the Royals, it's Kansas city, but then they also don't play Rays ball or don't play A's ball or, or Cleveland ball where they don't try to win the, win in the margins. They don't try to make shrewd business decisions. They just try to have this happy go lucky, family environment where they take care of their players and they don't watch porn in the locker room and they just roll the ball out there and see what happens. And that's just, you have to be one or the other. You have to be a, you have to be a dramatic like spender that goes and adds talent or a very calculated methodical franchise that will let go of a fan favorite to, you know, a year or two early to get back a guy who can be a fan favorite for eight more years from then. And so they just weren't doing either one with Dayton Moore. And so Dayton Moore now is gone and it's now up to the Royals to start acting like they're a small market team. They've been doing it financially. Now they've got to do it in terms of baseball ops. When look at if they get their act together in this division that they're playing in, in the way that they could make things compete, it's a surefire bet that a little bit of elbow grease could put them back in contention for a wild card spot. And if you're making any bets, go to Bet Online, which remains your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional amateur league out there from pro football to college football. Well, not much anymore. Better update the copy, the basketball, and pretty soon we'll be having the March Madness, just a month and a half away from that. They've got it all at betonline.net. If you love sports podcasts, and if you're listening to me, chances are you do, you can even find those at BetOnline as well. They're the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline is where the game starts. You you said a lot of things. Talk to us a little bit because they they. One thing they did do, I was going to bring this up, and I'm glad you brought it up organically instead of me ham-fistedly asking you a question about it. Um, They did really turn the page from uh, the 2015 season. Uh, Obviously, Dayton Moore was a huge part of assembling the team that won the World Series. But it's sometimes you need new blood, and sometimes you need to come from a different point of view. Tell us a little bit about the new... GM and the new manager and your thoughts on them moving forward. Yeah. So the new GM is actually JJ Picolio, who is working under Dayton more and close with Dayton more for the last four or five years. However, I've been quick to point out that, you know, just because you work under somebody doesn't mean you're going to be an exact carbon copy of them. Like there might be many disagreements that JJ Picolio has had about how Dayton Moore does things, but Dayton Moore called the shots. So what are you going to do? You can voice your displeasure. You can't really do much whenever you're in that role. So let's give him a fair shot to see what he's all about and not just say he's going to be Dayton Moore Jr. Because I think if that was the case, then Sherman would just let them both go. And then as far as like hiring in Matt Quintino, I think that that's a great hire as a manager. I think that you bring him in. He's from that raised culture. He understands how to get 
unorthodox and think outside the box, which the Royals have never hired a manager that thought outside the box and have never had a manager that that would try new things and try to find those advantages in the margin, like having an opener, like having, you know, a, a piggyback starter or anything like that. So those are some edges that you can get. And they brought in Ryan Yarborough from Tampa Bay to assist Matty Q in this, in this kind of first year here. And of course those two have a great relationship. I think that whenever you head into this off season, the only reason I defend this Royals organization is Royals fans, including myself, spent all last season saying fire Dayton Moore, fire Mike Matheny, fire Dave Island, fire the pitching coach, the manager, and the GM. All last season, that's what we were saying. And all last season we were saying, stop shoehorning in Hunter Dozier and Ryan O'Hearn and Ryan McBroom. Play the young guys. Mm-hmm. They got rid of Ryan McBroom. You know, they got rid of Dave Island. They got rid of Dayton Moore. They got rid of Mike Matheny. So it'd be hypocritical to still sit up here and say this off season was a failure. They checked off all those boxes. Plus they add Jordan Lyles and Ryan Yarbrough, whatever the case is there, who, who really cares about those two players specifically, but they, they did what we were wanting them to do. All we wanted them to do last year was roll the young kids out there and see how good they are. And then you have to get a baseline of how good they are to then know your next steps. Do you now add to this roster or are these young guys just not very good and you need to restart and, and go draft a new crop of young guys and hope that they pan out because these guys haven't. So I I think that this offseason, despite it not being flashy, despite it not in, including a ton of acquisitions, I think it's a good start for the Royals and a good reset. It's the first step toward a restep. It's the first step in clarity of which direction to go down because this season – they don't have any other arms to throw out there except for uh, guys like Jackson Carr, except for guys like Daniel Lynch, except for uh, these young arms that they've been stockpiling for the last three drafts. And they're either going to sink or swim. And if they if they swim, great. Then you take the next offseason and you start adding some veterans and seeing if you can make some noise in the wild card. And if they sink, then you know, okay, next offseason, you just strip this down to the studs and start another rebuild, but this time without Dayton Moore's fingerprints all over it. I think you made a great point there in terms of – one of the things that made this in some ways a quality uh, off season for the Royals is an acknowledgement that you need to do something different is an acknowledgement that the status quo wasn't working and that, you know, one of the things that happened to the Philadelphia Phillies when they went on a, a really terrific run at the end of the 2000s, the beginning of 2010s, where they won five straight division titles back-to-back pennants and won their only their second World Series in franchise history the first time when they beat the Royals. Um, they stayed with their core and they stayed with their group of people that led them there too long. And it got to the point where it was like they were almost continuing to do victory laps for the same World Series. And by the time they were done doing the victory laps, the players didn't have any value, and the t- and the team was rudderless, and they had ba- they had basically lost the decade. I mean, they didn't have a winning season between uh, Ryan Howard falling in a heap in uh, at the end of the 2011 postseason and the COVID year. They didn't have a single season where they finished, you know, above 500. I mean, that's a lost time. You saw that since winning the World Series, since Wade Davis raised his hands in that ex- that bizarre extra inning win against the Mets, the the Royals haven't been relevant. And so you're saying, and I agree with you, that they said, okay, we have to do something different now. Doing the same thing isn't going to get us where we want to do, and we can't keep taking the victory lap. And uh, if nothing else is showing the Royals fans, all right, we're, we, 
we're going to go in a different boat now. We have to go in a different direction. I'll tell you something, though. I will I will bring up 2015 again. I'm sure as a Royal fan, you don't mind listening to stuff about 2015. I love, look, at, I was, full disclosure, I didn't root for the Royals in 2014 because my dad, may he rest in peace, was a rabid Giants fan. I went to one of the games at, um, uh, it, it's now called Oracle Park, then it was called AT&T Park. And I was thrilled by the result of that series. And full disclosure, I was not rooting for them against the Mets because I have so many friends who are Mets fans. And I, you know, I, I wanted them to do well. That being said, those Royal teams were thrilling because they seemed like they were a team from the 80s where there was a lot of stolen bases, a lot of people running around, transplanted in the you must go station to station. You must never run first to third. You must never stole, steal a base. And it was great to watch. It was da- it was daring base running and everything. And quite frankly, I want to see more of that in baseball because do you know what that is? That's increasing the pace of the play. Pace of play does not equal the length of game. Pace of play is the pace of which a game is played. And those Royals games were thrilling they were exciting they were a brand of baseball that i wanted to see build upon that and whatever they do if they're going to emulate the a's if they're going to emulate the braves if they're going to emulate the cardinals whichever team they want to emulate i hope it includes speed because baseball needs more speed that speeds the game up yeah i think that the 2015 team uh, like you look back on paper and, and you can do some revisionist history of like, oh, these guys weren't any good because they weren't superstars. They, were, they, they were weren't terrific. They were terrific. Exactly. Exactly. They weren't superstars. They weren't like, they weren't, you know, incredible 15 time all-stars when it's all said and done. You know, some of the guys only made one or two all-star games now looking back on their career, but you have to have lived in the moment and kind of go back and put yourself back in that spot. What they were doing was spectacular. And what they were doing was elite. You know, they were elite at space and they were elite at, at calculating when they're going to steal bases like Rusty Coons telling, you know, Lindsay Lindsay Kane to go first to home on a sloppy track in the rain because he knew that the Blue Jays outfielder couldn't make the throw home. So he just said, go ahead. I know you're, I know you might slip. I know it's going to be dangerous. Go ahead. We trust your speed. Sending Hosmer on the mad dash because Lucas Duda can't throw to home. Like that stuff was calculated. It wasn't, it was reckless, but it also was calculated reckless of why they had a plan for why they were doing it and why they were causing chaos. And I think that that was the last true baseball team in the sense of what you're talking about, of like kind of old school baseball. We are not just going for broke. I mean, the Royals couldn't go for broke. No one on that roster could hit home runs. No one on that, on that roster could just outslug somebody. They had to keep the line moving. They had to hit one through nine. It took Alex Rios and, and uh, Nori Aoki stepping up. It, it took Gerard Dyson swiping bases off the bench. It, it took Billy Butler getting a steal against Oakland. Like it, it was everyone had to do their part. And if, and if somebody didn't, they weren't going to win. And yet still, they went wire to wire and won the AL Central. Yet still, they went to the World Series. Yet still, they won the World Series. Because even though they relied on every single player on that roster, one bad outing from Wade Davis, one bad outing from Kelvin Herrera, one bad outting from Edison Volquez, they don't win a game. You know, they, right. they don't win a World Series. They don't win. Uh, you know, in, in the postseason, they they get beat by the Jays, get beat by the Astros. Like they could have lost every single series had one guy not done their job. And nowadays, you just sit on your hands and wait until your big slugger gets up there and pray to God he hits it over the fence. And it's just it's not as entertaining to me. There, there are three great points you made in there. First of all, the Royals team almost was eliminated the division series in four games by Houston. 
they would have been totally forgotten. And in that wild card game of which uh, my heart was broken a little bit because I went to, I became friends with one of the players on the A's that year. And so I went to many, many A's games in 2014 and really was hoping I could parlay that into uh, division series and ALCS tickets um, that the Royals twice were two outs away from being eliminated in the wild card game. They would have been totally for who remembers the, who remembers the wild card game loser, you know, and in each of those, and in each of those games and in the Mets series, especially the Mets series, the point I'm going to make, but in that game against Oakland where John Lester, a seasoned post game, you know, postseason winner, uh, you know, pitched into the eighth inning. Um, and it was the base stealing. And the fact that he had trouble throwing the first, they knew that. And they just kept the carousel going, kept the carousel, kept the pressure on them to the point where they chipped away, chipped away. You saw the fact that the, they, the Astros knew that the Royals had this great speed. And so what that did was it put pressure on their defense and Carlos Correa wet the bed, making a critical error that opened up the floodgates. And the pressure that it put on the Mets defense, Daniel Murphy making that critical error in game four, the throw home where they knew, like, look at if, if Hosmer was nailed at home, for those who don't remember what happened, the Mets were winning. And Matt Harvey pitched a phenomenal game until the ninth. And they brought in um, Familia. There was a runner on third with one out, a ground, just a ground ball to the third baseman, threw across the diamond, you know, checked the runner so he didn't come home with a tying run. The throw went to first. Wasn't a wild throw. But as the throw went to first, Eric Cosmer immediately broke home. And the first baseman threw it to the the catcher but through wild if he threw a strike Hosmer's out and the you know the game's over and the series goes back to Kansas City but having the Mets defense on their heels forced them to make errors or forced them to rush plays or forced them to panic and that pressure put on them you would never have in a team that is like well We've calculated the risk, and it's not risk. The the calculate the risk of Eric Cosmer running home. You don't send him, but do you know what? Risk is fun. That was fun, and it was entertaining, and it wound up working. And you know, I just think that we need to inject some of that into baseball. I know I shouldn't use the term inject because it brings up a lot of other images, but. You know, we talk about pace of play. Pace of play in so many ways is the pace of a game and the entertainment quality of a game. And whenever there's a runner on, I'm, again, forgive me if I'm, I'm rambling a little bit here. I'm old enough that I remember baseball in the 80s. Not everything was perfect there, but there were a lot of those speedsters. I talk about in the episode where I memorialized Chucky Carr. The Ricky Hendersons, the Tim Raines, the Otis Nixons, the Vince Coleman's, the Willie McGee's, the Harold Reynolds of the world. When they're on base, the Willie Wilson's of the world, the Brett Butler's of the world. When they're on base, Paul Molitor, when they're on base, everyone's watches it. When are they going to go? When are they going to go? Now the answer is never. And we need, I think the Royals playing that type of baseball when nobody else was gave them an advantage. 
And one last point is when you take a look at that team, was it an all-time great team? No, but they had someone very good everywhere. You know, Hosmer, Alcides Escobar, Moustakis, Lorenzo Cain, Gordon, none of the, you know, uh, Salvador Perez, none of them were the best, but they were all pretty good. And there was no glaring hole. You know, Kendrys Morales, was he the best slugger? No, but he did the job. And for a team like the Royals, maybe that's how you build. You build through the farm or smart trades. Part of that came from Zach Greinke trades. But also part of it is, if we can't get someone great, let's make sure, sure there's someone good there. Right, and they built an elite bullpen. That was the only thing elite about their team mm-hmm. was that and their speed. And then, and then the rest is history. And, and again, like the teams just don't rely on all 25 and now 26 of their guys anymore. Like the Royals had Luke Hochaver, who was a failed first overall pick and a failed starter. They turn him into a sixth inning fire fireman that just comes, comes in and somehow gets him out of a jam in the biggest stage in the brightest moments. They played Brandon Finnegan in 2014 in the world series. Two months after he, you know, or I guess six months after he pitched in the college world series, he was pitching in the world series of major league baseball. Like the storybook stuff that happened in Kansas city is only allowed to happen on your point because they weren't so attached to computer data points because they weren't so, okay, Escobar, you can't swing at every first pitch. No, if it's working, just swing at every first pitch. And you know what? You end up hitting the first inside the park home run in world series history since Babe Ruth. Go ahead, go ahead and do it. First pitch of the game in the world series game. Number one, like Nowadays, they would have never allowed Escobar to swing at every single first pitch. They just would have never allowed it. And it's just some of it you have to trust your players, and you just have to trust that baseball is going to happen. The ball is going to hit off the bag and fly into uh, you know left field, and that's going to be how you win the win the wild card game. Like at some point, baseball is going to happen. Don't just sit up there and wait around for what your computer program tells you to do. We're here with Ryland Stiles of Locked On Royals. What a great phrase. You said baseball is going to happen because that's what the Royals were pushing then. And maybe, and I, and I, and I, I will, I will absolutely believe that one of the things that gave them that advantage was that there weren't other teams playing like that. So some of the teams that they were playing almost didn't know how to defend it. They didn't know how to react to it. Uh, you know, the, the the speed and the daring and the, you know, doing risk-taking. But, of course, you made the other great point. The Royals' bullpen was outstanding. I mean, led by Wade Davis, and, you know, Holland was their closer for most of the year, and he was hurt, but, like, Davis stepped in. When, when you had the lead at the sixth inning, it was over. But you also had you had good enough starters, and remember the last World Series complete game was thrown by Johnny Cueto in Game Two of the World Series against the Mets. But I think that's almost a weird way should be a blueprint for the Royals moving forward, saying, "Look, it if we put if we get good players, and again maybe reclamation projects like Hochaver, and say, hey, you get another shot here, and you focus on building your team up through the farm." Bobby Witt Jr. could become a big star. You know, who are some of the names that you're hearing right now that could be the next, you know, filling the spots of the Escobars and Mustakas and Kane and the Gordons who were so successful before? And, of course, Salvador Perez has become Kansas City's answer to Yadier Molina. Uh, I like that you still have one link to the World Series team. But who are some of the players that you're looking at as uh, the, the building blocks? 
Yeah, I mean, Bobby Wood Jr. was supposed to be everything that Julio Rodriguez was, everything that Ali Rushman was last year, and he had a nice season. I mean, but he just didn't have a a superstar jaw dropping season as a rookie. But I, there's still obviously a ton He's of hope only for 22. him. He's 23, yep. right? So yeah. Anyway, yeah. So. MJ Melendez is another great guy that, that mm-hmm. people love and, and he's versatile. I mean, he can play DH, he can play outfield, he can play catcher. Like he can do a lot of different things. They have a log at first base for like Vinny Pascantino's a left-handed bat at first base that is smooth and and can really play that Hosmer role. Nick Prado is a nice slugger at first base that could that could uh, play some third maybe down the line if you need to. And then you have some interesting pieces like Nicky Lopez, who's a slick fielding middle infielder that's only 27, almost 28 years old. Like, is he still going to be in your window whenever you're ready to compete? And then you just have a lot of guys that were highly touted and you just don't know where they stand, which is why I think it's so good that the Royals made this move and went to a, a you know ownership group, went to a general management group, went to a, a managing group you know on the field that is going to allow them to play these youngsters. Because like Michael Massey could break out. Nick Eaton could break out. Kyle Lisboa could break out. Those are three, you know, outfield, infield guys that that could be something spectacular, could also be someone not worth messing with. But you have to find out which one it is. The biggest thing for Kansas City is the pitching. Yeah. They, did, they did kind of the inverse of what they did last time, which I think is a good strategy. I think that in Kansas City, if you can hit on five, you know, pitchers in the starting, in the starting rotation, and if you can somehow get – you know, ones, twos, or threes in the draft, that's so much more valuable than bats because there's going to be a surplus of bats and you can find some veteran bats who want to sign with you. I mean, Kendrick Morales was a huge boost to that lineup and you don't win that World Series without Kendrick Morales right. in 2015. But you can't go find star, you know, star ace pitchers in free agency. They're not going to sign with Kansas City. If there's an ace pitcher or even a number two pitcher on the market in free agency, they're not even taking the phone call from Kansas City. So the only way you can get those kind of guys is from the draft. And they tried that. They tried drafting Brady Singer, who turned into an ace-level pitcher. If you look at his numbers past June 1st, like if you look at June 1st on last year, you'd be stunned. If you did a blind resume test, you'd be stunned how good good he is. Yeah, yeah. After certainly the second half of the season, he was terrific. It was awesome. And and then you have like Daniel Lynch and Asa Lacey. Like Asa Lacey was supposed to be the first pick of his draft class, and he slipped to 5'6", where the Royals were, and they were able to grab him. But then you haven't heard anything from him since he's been in the minor league system. And so where is he standing? Is he even going to make it to a big league debut? Like there's a lot of interesting names. And what I think this shows is is a point in the bad column because they've already shown it to you in the good column. I think that the other blueprint Kansas City has that that other teams should take is – on the trade market. You mentioned Johnny Cueto's name. I remember whenever they traded for Johnny Cueto and Ben Zobers, two guys that they quite literally do not win the World Series without either one of those guys. Ben Zobers was so huge in the regular season whenever Alex Gordon got hurt, and then also just playing electric baseball in the postseason and getting you over the hump. And Johnny Cueto, you mentioned the the complete game in the World Series. Obviously, it goes without saying that they're going to win that game without, without Johnny Cueto. But they traded away an entire pitching staff. And I just got done talking about how, how important pitching is in small markets because you're not going to go sign them. And every single one of those pitchers, Brandon Finnegan, had already played in the World Series. Everyone else was already minor league all-stars. I mean, John Lamb was incredible. Cody Reed was incredible. And none of them, you know, besides Sean Manaya, has panned out in the big leagues. Sean Manaya right. has been really good. But you give away one really good pitcher for a literal World Series. Out of, out of the five all-star level minor league pitchers you gave up, and out of the five top 20 pitchers in your farm system you gave up, one of them panned out. And you got two players in return that both were pivotal in winning a World Series. So I think that we, we, we contending teams should just understand you just got to get into the dance, in the, into, the, into the playoffs, and then anything goes from there. 
unlike other sports, like if, if you're the eighth seed in, in the NBA, you're not going to beat the one seed. Just who cares? But right. in baseball, if you just get into the wild card game, the ball can bounce off the back. The, a gold glove, superb defender in Carlos Correa can have a terrible error, but then changes it whole series just because you're playing in the game. You could argue that the Royals have two of the most fluky World Series runs in consecutive years ever, and it's just because they got in the dance that that happened. And without pushing all in, without making those trades and getting into the World Series, and I mean, that's just getting into the playoffs, you don't have the two best years in Kansas City baseball history in the last 50 years. And you also take a, you when you have a chance to get over the top, and I've been screaming this, and this is the sort of the Dombrowski point of view as he's with Philadelphia now, if you have a chance to bring it to the next level, prospects be damned. You have a chance to win. And, you know, they you could have made a case for many of the players that were sent off for the Zobris deal, for the Johnny Cueto deal, and you would make that trade one million times out of a million because, lo and behold, it got them over the top. Um, last topic I want to talk about briefly, way back when, when teams were building uh, cookie-cutter, multi-purpose stadiums like Veterans Stadium, like Three River Stadium, Riverfront, Atlanta, Fulton County Stadium, RFK Stadium, Shea Stadium for that matter, Bush Stadiums were designed to be the wrong shape for both football and baseball. A circular stadium is not perfect for baseball, nor is it perfect for football, but it's almost splitting the difference. And Kansas City at the Harriet Truman Center, which I went to at a game uh, in 1995, before it was refurbished, um, but it was still, they said, what if we build a stadium perfectly designed for baseball right next to a stadium perfectly designed for football? And lo and behold, all the other cities tore down their cookie cutter parks and built a football and baseball stadium there. And Kansas city said, yeah, you mean the thing we did what you all should have done? You know, you could have had the equivalent of Kauffman stadium for the Phillies, for the pirates, for the Cardinals and all them. And they would not, they would not have been spending all this money, but lo and behold, all stadiums must face the music. And oddly the Royals have one of the oldest stadiums in baseball. Now, there's talk about them wanting to build a downtown ballpark or something else. I happen to have loved Kauffman Stadium, at least when I was there, and it seems like a great place to see a ball game. Um, what's going on and how realistic is the discussion of a uh, new ballpark for the Royals? Well, I think that the discussion is very, very real. And the team is even discussing it publicly at, at town halls and, and advocating for it. And I think it's something that the team really, really wants. And the thing is, even their parking lot partners with the Chiefs, the Chiefs would love it if the Royals would move away because you knock down Kauffman Stadium and then the Chiefs just build this empire out there. I mean, the, the big thing right now is that when you drive out to Kauffman Stadium, Stadium or Arrowhead Stadium, there's nothing out there except for the ballparks. And, and so if you knock out Kauffman Stadium, the Chiefs are going to put in restaurants, they're going to put in bars, they're going to put in uh, you know, pop-up shops and everything else that you would want to entertain the Chiefs crowd. So they're not going to hold the Royals uh, to whatever sort of legalities there is to put them in that in that you know, sports complex and the Royals want to go downtown where they're going to be in the midst of the downtown life that is now uh, heavily increased in Kansas city for those listeners that are around the Midwest area or around Kansas city, like their, their downtown scene is actually legit now. And it's why they're going to get a world cup game, uh, world cup games in the next world cup. I mean, it, it is a legit city 
at this point. And so there's a benefit there uh, for, for my personal take. I just, I love Kaufman. I think that Kaufman is the, the best thing ever. Uh, you know, uh, from all your travels, Midwest people love parking more than anything. And they'll complain about paying for parking more than anything they'll ever complain about. I don't think that that's a good mix to go downtown. And whenever you have a literal stadium that's built upon acres of just straight parking lots, that's all that's out there. I think that that's the think that the, the trade-off there is not great. And then just the, the actual stadium, it's comfortable. The, the actual stadium has the, has great history and also has the great, you know, it, it's a great stadium setup because you have the Hall of Fame out there where you can go and just get lost in Royals history. You have the fountains, you have the the area out there for the kids to play in and, and, and kind of had a ton of entertainment options for kids. And then you just can watch the ball game also with great sight lines everywhere in the stadium and just uh, great ticket pricing, everything. Uh, so Ultimately, I think that this will, will happen, that they're going to move downtown to, to a downtown ballpark, and all that's left to hammer out is just how much taxpayers are going to pay for. Uh, but I think that Kansas City has the rare leverage point, given that you know the, they view themselves already as a major league city. They're not needing major league baseball to legitimize them. For example, you know if, if the Thunder come knocking for taxpayers to put, pay for a stadium in basketball in Oklahoma City, that's the only thing Oklahoma City can claim to, can claim to, to make them a legitimized city. They're going to just have to pay the piper for Kansas city. They're getting world cups. They're getting the NFL. They're getting the NFL draft. Uh, they're, they're getting booming downtown nightlife. They're getting great concerts and great, and, and great acts to perform in their city. The baseball is just kind of secondary. So if, if they ask for some outrageous amount, you could start seeing them flirt with leaving Kansas city. But ultimately I think that this will just all be kaput like in a year or two from now. And they just work out whatever the galleys it takes to work out building a stadium and they build it in downtown Kansas city and then we all kind of get over it in a couple of seasons. Yeah, I hope they I hope they work it out. I mean, again, look at I love Kaufman Stadium. It's funny, I for the the book project I'm writing, I read to read several biographies of uh Charlie Finley and all the while he had been pushing Kansas City to build them a new ballpark for the A's otherwise he was going to move. And so in many ways if Finley was a little more patient, Kaufman Stadium would be the home of the A's right now, but Alas, the it's the home of the Royals, and the A's are trying to figure out their stadium situation. But that's a whole other podcast, and maybe one I'll add you on if we want to talk about the roundtable. Uh, you know, the Citizens Bank Ballpark in Philadelphia should have been the ballpark of the A's because the A's should never have left Philly. Kauffman Stadium should have been the ballpark for the A's because maybe they should have left Kansas City, but now they're in Oakland, and who knows what's going to happen. But I know what's going to happen right now. I'm going to say thanks so much for Ryland Stiles for joining the show. And I wanted to say thank you all for making Locked on MLB your first listen every day. Uh, your second listen, obviously have that be Locked on Royals. Your third listen makes that be Locked on MLB Prospects with host Lindsey Crosby. He's a prospect encyclopedia, and he's going deep on the major league stars of tomorrow. How many of them are going to be playing for Kansas City? It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of podcasts, Ryland Styles, why don't you tell people where they can find you? You can find me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at Lockdown Royals and subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcast from. Sully, thanks for having me. Yes, and thanks so much. And you can follow us at Lockdown MLB Pods. Uh, same handle on Twitter and on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram at Sully Baseball Podcast. And be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube as we're looking to meet our goal of 1 billion subscribers. We've fallen several hundred million short of that. So let's pick it up. We're going to try to make it 1 billion subscribers. 
This has been a Locked On MLB, Locked On Royals crossover for today, the 20th day of January, 2023. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.